Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradfo Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradfo Show. That's delicious. Chris Sale is pretty good, but why is he good? Well, I hauled in Tim Britton of the Province Journal to uncrack this code. We found six reasons. We had a draft picking those reasons. I feel like I won the draft. And along the way, we also told some untold podcast stories. What could be better? Well, here is the official Why Chris Sale Actually Might Be Good podcast. Tim Britton, president of the Boston chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America, has flown on in to the Bradfoe Show. Tim, how are you? We prefer chairman, Rob. Chairman. That's, that's oh, oh, chairman? What, yeah. Are we communists? <laughs> what, what, well, chair, what's going on? Chairman? I'm not the one who made up the rules. I just enforced the made-up rules. Did we ever have a vote to vote? actually vote you into office, or did you just name yourself this? Because is this like the player representative for the team where they give to the guy who doesn't want to do it but has to do it because no one else wants to do it? Perhaps the fact that I've run unopposed the last three years tells you that. Mm, interesting. Well, you've done a fine job. You wielded your power well, and uh, it's gotten you appearance on this podcast right here, right now. So this, welcome. This is the perk. Well, we should we should mention that you are uh, you also have a podcast. It's called the because uh, I'm all about promoting my guest uh, interest. You know whether it's an appearance at Shaw's or or uh, whatever it might be. And your your podcast with Brian McPherson is the Super Two podcast. Yes, you're supposed right, to yes. respond to that. <laughs> yeah, the Super Two podcast for the Providence Journal. Uh, we usually tape it Sunday nights for Monday mornings. Do you feel like that's a good name for a podcast, Super Two podcast? Because I get it. It's Super <laughs> Two. It's two people. You're calling yourself Super. And also, for people who follow the, the minutia of baseball, 
the the players who are reach arbitration early, which is always a sexy, sexy thing, is are called super two players. Yes, yeah, so we we wanted an inside baseball term. Yes, you know, that also described the podcast. So we should probably have Jackie Bradley Jr. on Super Two this year mm. since he is a Super Two. And you haven't asked him? Not yet. You know, it's it we'll, we'll, like we'll wait till sweeps week. For it that. seems like you. You're, I got to be honest with you. So you guys do. You've done the podcast for a while. It's a Super Two podcast, and you've done it consistently, which is a huge thing. And listen, no one knows that more than me because this is sweeping the nation. Because I'm doing it twice a week, every single week. Ever since the reboot, ever since I took the W off show, and but you haven't you haven't gone the player route yet, have you? Have you had the player on? No, the, the, it, like the player, like the form of the player. <laughs> we have not gone in the form of the player okay. yet. Okay. Uh, we did go coach. Uh, in spring training, we had Carl Willis on for 40 minutes, and that was that was a good one. And he knew that he was you were, he was your third choice, right? Second choice, second, second choice. choice. We had asked for someone else who we we thought would have more Brian time. Bannister. For that. We're all about full disclosure here. <laughs> we had asked for Brian Bannister, thinking he would have more time as the assistant pitching coach in spring training. Of course, uh, and then. They said Willis actually had the time, so we went with him. Uh, it, you know, it was obviously my second choice because of his North Carolina ties. Yeah. Other would, than that, I was fine it, with Yeah, him. this is where I say Tim went to Duke and got a perfect score on his <laughs> SATs. Uh, it's basically how I introduce everyone. Lucy Birch, who is in here producing this uh, for us right now, I think I told Lucy when you guys met at the writer's dinner the other, the other day, <laughs> otherwise known as a few months ago, this is Tim Breton, president of the Baseball Writers Association for Boston Chapter. He got a perfect score on his SATs. Congratulations. <laughs> you are my greatest PR rep. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, and it, it continues with this show. So you've you got to get a player on your podcast. And by say, me saying you got to get a player on your podcast, you don't really have to because they're typically boring. <laughs> but I just feel like you just have to check that box off. We'll, we'll try to get Carlos Quentin soon. He's already done. That's done. <laughs> it's been there. Because the, once he, within the first two minutes, he'll say, as I said on the Bradford show, you, him, Josh Tobias. We, we tried with Adrian Gonzalez a couple of years oh, ago, but you got to him Should first. we tell that story? Can we tell that story real quick? Sure. All right. So uh, right in the heart of the chaos that was the 2012 Red Sox. So there was in Baltimore, I remember. It was in July. I think it was August because I was trying to talk to him in Cleveland, which is right after okay. Baltimore. Okay, so there had already been who texted John Henry and and who sent the text throwing the coaches under the bus. The story, because I remember the story, the Jeff Passan story came out uh, while we were in Baltimore. And um, and. So all the players, it was a big thing. The story was that the players, I believe, in New York had held this meeting uh, with, was the coaches? I'm, I can't even remember. The coaches were there. I think with some coaches. With some coaches. And they were basically, the, 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 what people were sort of insinuating was they were trying to get Bobby Valentin fired, right? Which you know, we hear conflicting things. Anyway, that whole year, Adrian Gonzalez was sort of in the crosshairs. There were some people who thought that he had uh, had texted Threw someone under the bus about Bobby Valentine calling out Will Middlebrooks. Remember in Chicago, I believe it was right, right. Well, and that's the story that Valentine had brought up himself, yes, and then later said never happened. Of course he did. <laughs> and so, so Adrian Gonzalez was sort of in the crosshairs. But when you get to Baltimore, that story came out, and I remember it came out right before everyone went into Valentine's managers meeting with the media, and then when by the time he comes out, now everyone knows about it. And I remember going up to now you sort of go trying to get players, and Gonzalez said 
uh, really, really nothing. And the players were saying nothing because obviously they were a little shell-shocked that it came out. Um, do you remember? So you came out of the manager's meeting, and did you ask players about anything, or was it, did, was it too late? I think we had time because, yeah, it was on the road. Valentine talked at like 4.30, so we had yeah. like a half hour to try to get players. Right. Uh, but nobody really – I mean, some people might have said some very general things. Yeah, I don't, I don't – there was nothing news-breaking And once, and once again, said. this was a big, big deal. This was the heart and soul of 2012 of this, this – the, the news that the meeting had trying to get Valentine fired and really amped everything up. And – Players were already – there was a lot of stuff going on there. Players were already in that clubhouse chirping from different corners of the clubhouse, and it was it was a mess. So so anyway, we flashed forward the next day, and Adrian Gonzalez is sitting in his locker, and for some reason people want to talk to him about because he's right in the middle of all this stuff. And I go up to him, and I go – and I interview him. I interview him for like five minutes. I remember – you know, Haggerty's like standing five feet away after his shock and awe road trip. And, and so, uh, so I interviewed him for five minutes and I know that I got to get the sound. I don't always do this or always didn't always used to do this, but get the sound and send it in to the radio station because it was a big deal, but you, you sort of want clearance from the player. So I go, not not really saying, hey, this is this is audio that's going directly from here, which I'm taping with a tape recorder for what you think is a story, and it's going to the radio station. I'm like, oh, would you mind if I use this for my podcast? <laughs> now, I didn't have a podcast, but I figured like that was sort of true because it, once it gets on the radio, then it becomes an audio file, and that kind of becomes a podcast. So he's like, sure. So I immediately ran up to the press box and I knew that and I, I didn't even turn around and I knew that you what, you you went to him right after right I, I forget the order there were a whole bunch of us trying to get yeah. him that day and what did he say <laughs> he said I already talked to Rob about it for his podcast that was it <laughs> That was it. it was, it, and that became the defense of almost every player when they were talking about this sort of thing. I, I talked to Rob about it for his podcast. I'm surprised it's not like the, you haven't worked that into the name of your podcast. It, it's actually on the next round of at Bradfo T-shirts. It's going to be on the back. I've already talked to Rob on his podcast. Anyway, I digress. Some of this may be edited out. Some of it might not be. I don't care. So, uh, and this is good because Lucy's here. She can tell us what's interesting and not. It's like a studio audience. I've had a studio audience since Twin Peaks. <laughs> since, since the Twin Peaks podcast with Joe Kelly and Rick Borsella. It was a captive studio audience, I heard. It, it was. It was. And I'm going to tell a story about that podcast real quick. That after the podcast, Joe Kelly saved someone's life in the bathroom. And, and what happened was... After the podcast, so during the podcast, I there were some things that just didn't hit on a hit, and I one of the things was I, I thought that Joe Kelly wanted to become a comedian because Josh Wolf had tweeted and said, "Hey Joe Kelly, when are you going to become a comedian?" He's like, "I'm going to become a comedian." So all right, Joe, tell us three jokes. Tell us or tell us a joke. No, I'm saving them. Come on, tell us a joke. No, I'm saving them. So he goes to the after the podcast is done, he goes to the bathroom and he comes out and then he he's in a 
panic. And he, he's looking at Porcello and I, and he's saying, saying you're never going to believe what happened. And bo- I swear, both of us were th- thinking the same thing. Now he's telling his <laughs> joke, right? So you're never going to believe what happened. There was this 300-pound guy on the floor of the bathroom, and – and and he's like, help me, help me. And so I got up behind him. He's like, you're not going to be able to lift me. And I said, don't worry about it. I, I, I deadlift 500 pounds. And, and so I lifted him up and I propped him up. And they were like, so when's the punchline? What's going on? This is, this is your joke? And he's like, no. And so we're, yeah, whatever, whatever. And then like two minutes later, this 300-pound old guy with a cane comes stumbling out of the bathroom. So that is the untold story of the Twin Peaks podcast. I think you oversold the saved his life part of that conversation. He might, I mean, a guy floundering on the floor, really, <laughs> it, it, that kind of is a life-threatening situation. I'm not saying you get the paddles and get the defibrillator out and say clear, but... It's I mean, kind of like an eighth inning save your life situation. It's not the ninth inning high leverage yet. It's no. it's eighth inning. Joe but the Kelly best time. the best part of that the best part of that was what he said in the middle of it. And I I you know Joe Kelly. I believe this hundred percent to be true. In the middle of it, saying, "Don't worry about it. I can deadlift five hundred pounds." And I bet he had like the precise number. It wasn't five hundred. <laughs> it was like five hundred and four pounds. Yes. So anyway, the, the the stories, the untold stories of podcast. Do you have a good the super two untold story? See no, that's you can, <laughs> not that I can think of. All, not that I can tell on this podcast. Oh, we'll no. save it. We'll save it for the Super Two outtakes. Well, podcast. well, well played, my friend. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you in here in the Bradford Show studios is that um, I was googling around today because when I'm alone, I Google around, and I said typed in why Chris Sale is good. Chris Sale's pitching. And the first article that came up was written by Tim Britton, and it was done on December 6th, which I, I think was the day after the Chris Sale trade. I think it was the day of. Day of. I, was, I was home, so I was, I was writing. Okay, so Chris Sale gets traded. Oh, you were home. That's right. You weren't at the winter meetings, right. which is actually, I shouldn't say this, but you probably can be more. Tomasi said he could be more productive <laughs> at home during the winter meetings than actually there. I like yeah. going to the winter meetings. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. But so you wrote the story, Why Chris Sale is Good. And he went through the list of things. It was pretty interesting. There was another story right below it on the Google machine, and that was the uh, somebody from J.J. Stankowitz from CSN Chicago. Am I saying his name right? I think I am. He covers Notre Dame as well. And he wrote a story why of St. Louis players talking about why Chris Sale is good. So I found both of those stories very interesting. But you watched Chris Sale the spring training, right? Correct? Yes. Yes. He's an interesting guy to watch, and he's pitching in his first game uh, on for the Red Sox on Wednesday. You might have already listened. Maybe you already pitched, but whatever. This is an evergreen podcast. It is why Chris Sale is good. That's the premise of it. So why is Chris Sale good? You've watched him. You, you wrote the story, which is was blind faith, and now you have proof. Like, this is why I think he's good. Give me, give me your top. This will be a fun game. Give me your top reason why you think he good, he's good, and then I'll do the next one if it's not the same, and then we'll go back and forth. So we're going to draft qualities that make Chris Sale good. Yes, this is like this is much like when Minahan and I used to run together, and we used to have drafts, and we'd say, "Woman of E Entertainment Television, <laughs> Suzanne Senna, number one." Oh, I can't believe I forgot her. How could you let her slide to the number two pick in the draft? Anyway, um, yeah, this is just like that. This is this. I, I live my life through drafts and power <laughs> rankings. So you get the first pick. Why is Chris Sale good? Uh, so 
I mean, you can go like the basic velocity part of it that that's it can hit 95 or 96, right. but I don't you think that separates there, it. Yeah. I think the separator for sale is probably just the delivery and the weird release point that it is. It comes from a weird spot, uh, so lefties can't really hit him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's got a pitch in his slider that kind of mitigates what righties could do against him. You know, A lot of times you see a guy who drops down, he can't get opposite-handed hitters out. Uh, and Sale can do that because of his repertoire. So I'll start with the delivery uh, and the release the, point being something that, the that most hitters aren't. The of the delivery. Yeah, the, that most hitters aren't used to. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with his ability to pitch inside. I might be drafting a little high on this one, but his ability to pitch inside, watching him in person, and then you obviously go to the 17-hit batsman, leads the major leagues. But his ability to pitch inside really is something that I think does separate him. And you see it. You see he owns the inside part of the plate. And it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to do. But I don't think there's a lot of pitchers who are as confident as he is when it comes to pitching inside. And maybe he shouldn't be as confident because he hit 17 guys. But would you, having seen him pitch, you would agree with me, right? Yeah, and, and can I plug a, a story I've yet to write but will write soon? If it's about, is it about pitching inside? Yes. Too bad. I'm writing it tonight. <laughs> I talked to Frank Viola, uh, who's the AAA hit pitching coach for the Mets and, you know, was a lefty who succeeded at Fenway Park. I, I wrote the story today about kind of the transition to pitching for Boston as a guy who was pretty good beforehand and still pitched well for the is Red it running Sox. To, is it running, like, tonight? Oh, yeah. It's online already. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, of course you can plug it if it's already online. But I haven't written this I, part of it, which is I talked about. I'm going to aggregate the crap out of it. About pitching as a left-hander at Fenway. Yeah. And what, what do you need to do to be successful as a lefty? And Viola was a change-up pitcher pri- primarily, so he was able to work away from right-handed hitters. But he said most important was being able to locate inside and pitch confidently inside so, so that you could get you could keep hitters away from leaning out over the plate. And, you know, if you miss inside to a righty, you're going you're gonna to pay the price at Fenway Park more than in most places. So if you can spot it inside, like Sale has been able to do throughout his career, uh, that kind of limits the damage Well, that's interesting because, once again, I mean, he hasn't lived in Fenway Park. He's pitched in Fenway Park starting in the Cape League. I mean, we should plug Jen McCaffrey's fine story about when he did pitch in the Cape League, which is baffling that, that Steve Selsky was on his team and Josh Rutledge and Dan Butler. Dan Butler was his roommate. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's weird. It's a good story. Um, but... Yeah, so I'm glad that Frank Viola said that because I feel better about me draft, drafting that in the, in the number two spot in, the, in our draft. Um, and, and speaking of Frank Viola, and I, this is a quick diversion, when I think of Frank Viola pitching for the Red Sox, I think of his very last pitch as a member of the Red Sox. And I, was, I used to go down and sit in the stands and uh, after getting fraudulent media credentials. And so I went down and sat in the stands, and he – I was very close, and he threw the pitch, and he, you could tell. Like, his arm his arm blew out. Yet, it was a wild pitch, and he went and covered home plate. This is one of the things that always baffled me about. Brady did the same thing when he tore up his knee. Like, he, he tore up his knee, and then he looks up to see if he completed the pass. Frank Viola did the same thing. He covered home plate, and then, of course, he's cringing. So, I admire you for talking to him, and I admire Frank Viola. Number three pick in the draft. What's it going to be? Can, can I say one more Frank Viola thing? Uh, see, this. I knew if I did this, I was going to open the door. I was, I was little, reading. Little Timmy Britton Mets fan. Yeah, go ahead. I was reading our, our Providence Journal's old coverage of when they signed By the way, Viola. Can you get through your interview with Frank Viola without saying, I love you, Frank? <laughs> you know, he's a twin, really, at heart. Okay, whatever. Uh,. His contract with the Red Sox had a bonus, $100,000 bonus each year. He pitched 235 innings or more. <laughs> and Sean McAdams, I was reading Sean McAdams' story about when they signed Frank Viola in December of 1991. Uh, and he says, 
a mark Viola has easily surpassed in eight of the last nine years. And just like and then, David Price, I think led the league in innings last year at two thirty five. And then we flash forward to Frank Viola blowing out his elbow. So it two all years connects. after. Uh, uh, so number three in the po- Chris Sale power rankings. I'll go with something that that Farrell has talked about a lot, which is his. Uh, and, and this is the phrasing he's used: his competitive spirit. Oh. Uh, that this is a guy who who wants Boy. the ball. And I, this was, we've, this we've was, seen this in this, terms of this was like drafting Kevin O'Connell in the third round for the Patriots <laughs> quarterback. Next quarterback <laughs> go ahead we've seen his his adaptability as a pitcher over the years in, in Chicago and the way that he's changed the way he th- uses his fastball to get deeper into games and I think that's part of uh, a willingness to change who he is uh, and to you know he's not worried so much about strikeouts necessarily even though he's a guy who what struck out 10 or more like six or seven straight games a couple of years ago uh he's been willing to to adjust who he is uh and that bodes well for someone adjusting environments in Boston uh, a guy who's going to pitch in deep into games and I think you know, sure, we, we might have said this about Price at this time last year, but probably embraces the challenge here. Good point, Tim. <laughs> so I will go. Number three, I think, was a reach competitiveness uh, in terms of what he brings to the table. I think number four is going to be his ability to actually pitch quickly. And, and this is such an underrated thing because he, they should always be thinking about the sports writers and how much they want the game to go by quick. The ability to pitch quick is, is I think, a, 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 I think it's such an underrated thing because it shows confidence. It shows that they have a plan. It shows that that they are prioritizing getting the ball, feeling good about what they're doing, and then throwing it. And you watch Chris Sale in spring training, and one of the things I noticed, when he throws a ball, watch this. When he throws a ball, he runs back to the pitchers. Robert, did you write about this already? No, no. All I right, haven't. all right, okay. Well, all right. So, um, I'm self-conscious about things. Maybe I'm duplicating, but I thought I, this was a keen observation, having done the broadcast of the the spring training games. He basically he he runs back to the the, the pitching rubber. Says, "Okay, let's go, let's go, let's do this again." And I do think that that shows you that this guy is confident in all of his pitches, which we saw before. It's like you know we've seen pitchers who aren't confident in their pitches, and it's a it's a disaster. So I might be reaching at number four, but I'm going to run with it. I feel about that number four pick the way Rick Pitino felt about Chauncey Billups 50 games into his tenure with the Celtics. Like, mm. yeah, pitching quickly. That's what made Wade Miley so successful in Boston and, and really hurt Josh Beckett's career. We've already gone through with Wade Miley. It would be the number one thing, <laughs> right? But we're already got to number four. <laughs> but and, I, I, and I think I think Sale does does a work a little a little more slowly with runners on is something I noticed in spring. He does. He does take more of his time. Well, everyone today. does. I mean, yeah, every, but, Pomerantz is the same way. Everyone does. Not Wade Miley. <laughs> yeah, because he likes sports writers better than most. Uh, all right, so, okay, maybe I reached for four, but you reached for three. Go ahead, number five. You don't have anything? Uh, I mean, like, can we? Can I just say his stuff? Is, is yeah. That, is that, oh, yeah, like, the, the that's fact that he... That's a great that he, pick. <laughs> right. That's, it's like that's me probably... picking Carlos Delgado in the 1992 <laughs> Fantasy Baseball League. Probably should have been the number one pick is his stuff. Uh, the, that he's got the, the fastball that he diversifies the velocity with, which is something I have written about, that he works at 89-90 sometimes and can, can get up to 95. Uh, that he's got a slider that bites kind of devastatingly, I think is the word you go with there. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who was, uh, as I'm reading in Jen's story today, was a fastball changeup guy going into school 
and, and almost coming out of school. And that, the slider is something he's learned over time as a professional. And then that changeup has gotten kind of better and better uh, as his third pitch. And, you know, the slider, changeup, fastball, like that's kind of the classic repertoire uh, for a starting pitcher uh, to make it work. Uh, so, I, I mean, like his stuff is just as good as anyone uh, in baseball. But that's the thing that I think that, that was striking when you watch him in spring training because, you know, we can say we know him. You can say that you knew what made him good when you sat down to write that story in December. But you got, you've seen him pitch once in a while. We all have a better idea what this guy is now. And the thing that is striking is that, that – it's okay, you know. It's change up on the outside corner. Okay, here comes the backdoor curveball or slider, and then you come in with a fastball on the inside. This is a guy who can use these pitches on both sides of the plate, and this is why he's good. I guess I should have drafted, put that as a number two pick. Uh, so good job by you. But it's it's you know that's an important thing, and I think that's one thing when people watch him. If if you ask the the common Joe. Uh, plumber Joe. What was the What was the guy? Joe the plumber. Joe the plumber. I call him Plumber Joe because I'm <laughs> intimately familiar with him. But if you talk to him, they'd probably think, "Oh, this is a guy with a funky delivery who throws hard." That's probably it. Because usually, guys who have been as dominant as he have has been usually throw hard, and that's how their their bread is buttered, right? Yeah, and, and one of the things I like about him is uh, I mentioned kind of the diversification of velocity. Like he's a guy who can throw a pitch at every mile an hour from 75 to like 96 because he, he moves it around with his curveball. Uh, his curveball slows it down to about 75. His slider, he can throw 79 or 80. His changeup, he throws anywhere from like 83 to 86. And then, as I mentioned with the fastball, he throws that at different speeds too. And that gives him, you know, you can't, there are guys like Beckett, I remember, his fastball was 92 and his changeup was 89. Yes. Uh, there's, there's differences there. And those, those minor differences, uh, I was talking to Carl Willis about that slower fastball. He's On like, the it, podcast? No, this was, this was after oh, the podcast. Multiple times is, you've talked to Carl Willis. Yeah, not all, of my, not all of my interviews are from podcast <laughs> distribution. Yeah. Uh, that, that throwing a fastball at 90 when you can throw at 95 almost gives you another pitch because it's just enough difference to kind of keep batter's timings off. The, uh, is it my pick? Is it my pick? I can't remember. Did you have – you had – off. Whose pick is it? I think it's your pick. My pick. Okay. I, I'm going to go with – I'll have Mr. Irrelevant. I'll have the last pick because I know we're running out of things to say why Chris Sale is good. Um, I will go with something which the media won't like, but I do think is important, it, which is his approach to living day-to-day so far, what we've seen. We're getting a little frustrated with Chris Sale because he hasn't made himself very available but that's good. I mean, honestly, that's the way to do it. I'm sorry to everybody, but that's the way to do it. Uh, because how many times have we seen guys come in to and do everything for everybody, and then next thing I know, the first week, the second week, the first month, the second month, they are 180 degrees of what we thought they would be. And I, I do think this is the right approach to take. And, like, after the we were there opening day and he didn't talk. And, you know, yeah, we were pissed off because you want to talk to the Game 2 starter. And this seems to be an opportunity to do that. But I got to be honest with you, it's probably not a terrible thing from the approach he's taking. Yeah, just the kind of unplugged approach that he has mm-hmm. uh, in Boston. That he's not, uh, this is going to sound like a shot at Price more than anyone else, but uh, that he's not on Twitter uh, and not, you know, interacting with fans in that venue, which is generally unproductive for anyone of stature. Uh, so that's probably a good idea on his end. So it was a good pick. 
I, yeah, I, it was. It was. Uh, it was better than your number four pick. That's for sure. What was that? Oh, quirking quickly. <laughs> I stand by by working quickly. That, that's a media prioritization. Nah, there. it's like it's like Jordan Richards taking Jordan Richards. I'm secure, in, like the Patriots were secure in that that value of that pick. I'm secure in that value. Uh, all right, I know you got to get going because you have red hot date. So uh, I appreciate you swinging on by, and we learned a lot. We learned about a lot about the art of podcasting, a lot about Tim Britton, the guy who scored a perfect score on his SAT and a lot about Chris Sale. So thank you, Timothy. Adios. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. As America celebrates Juneteenth, join me, Femi Redwood, the host of the Beyond Black History Month podcast, as we continue our special series. To how one man's love helped build a strong black community after freedom. He was just a man that truly believed in family. To how the spirit of Juneteenth connected many in the diaspora. You can find Beyond Black History Month on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh-huh.